right, we bring you back into another edition of Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. Chris Kerber, John Hadley, Tim Woodburn with you here as we break down the St. Louis Blues, bounce around the National Hockey League, trade some uh, sports stories as well, and maybe even get into a spirit or two. And no, we're not talking about the spirits that float around. We're talking about the kind you drink. And guys, I'm going to tell you this week about one that I had over the weekend that I loved, and, and it, it's an Irish whiskey. So I'm going to save that for a little later on, all right? So it's it's a, it's an Irish whiskey. I had not tried it before, and then when I read the label, I actually found something else out that I thought was cool about this bottle, and maybe myself and my neighbor shouldn't have gone through the whole bottle the way we did. But anywho, Tim, John, how you guys doing? It's been about a week and a half. Uh, you, you hanging in there? Things going okay? I have, uh, I have absolutely... No complaints in the world, but by the same token, I have a very bar, very very low bar. So <laughs> your line, your line, yeah. which always killed me, was awesome. Was uh, no complaints, but my face. There you go, and that's still a complaint, by the way. But so be it. Well, and Chris, you and I haven't spoken since we were getting ready to record this podcast last week, and literally, as you got me on the phone. I, I believe this is how it went down. You were informed about about Plager's death, and and we literally had to cancel the uh, podcast uh, at the very last minute. So, you know, it's been a very sad and solemn week. I know for the Blues community and and, and for the team, and and I thought it was uh, uh, incredible uh, how quickly the team got the uh, the heart with the number five up on the side of Enterprise Center, considering that he. I mean, it's only been a week since he passed. It's been eight days, but I mean that's. That's amazing uh, that that type of project, uh, that size, was completed in that uh, short amount of time. You know, you know Tim, it, it's great that you recognize that, and, and thanks for that. Because behind the scenes, what happened over the last eight days um, was is really amazing and special, and it speaks volumes to the growth of where this organization has come. So many people behind the scenes had to jump into action, and they really had to compartmentalize their emotions because it's been an extremely emotional week for a lot of us that knew Bobby as, as well as we did. And everything was done so well, from talk, literally from getting Richie Matthews and the equipment manager the very next night having number fives on the helmets, right, to Brenda Wilbur's uh, you know, graphics team with our, our organization working to make sure that there's a patch that's designed that kind of fits and looks right for all four different jerseys that are going to be worn. And and then and then Randy Gersh on the community side working with some of the people that he's worked with on some projects to make sure that that patch got in in time for Friday night's game just a couple of days later. Then the, the production team of Trevor Nickerson going through mountains and mountains of content that the St. Louis Blues have built up over the last seven or eight years um, to be able to not only not only use it for what the Blues did in-game, but they delivered that content to the TV stations and news outlets so they could use it to do right by Bobby. I mean, this it really, really has been a special week, not only in remembering Bobby and the stories that people are hearing, and we'll get into a couple of those here in just a moment, but really how the organization responded. And you're right, that big heart with the number five going up on the front facade of Enterprise Center. And I watched it yesterday for a while. I left the rink probably at about 1130 after practice. And I pulled off on the side of the road and just watched them put that thing up. It was impressive to see them do that that quick. Well, what is, was it, was it, so is it, is it uh, like metal that was attached to the building or was it like painted on the building? No, it's, how did they... It, 
Yeah, it's a great question. It's actually, it, it's like a window decal. So they, they have it, they design it, and then you kind of have to put it up in strips. So it would go one strip, line the next strip up, attach it, line the next strip up, attach it, and it's all, you know, done on the outside of the building. It's really, a, wow. yeah, it was really quite impressive what they did. Well, it was like, as you mentioned, eight days ago in the afternoon, one thirty in the afternoon, uh, Bobby had uh, a, a cardiac episode that um, looks like that's what took his life, um, which I, I guess gives us some comfort that it wasn't the car crash. And, and thank goodness that nobody else was hurt in that. Uh, and it appears as if he was heading downtown maybe for an event as well as that was going. But the news shocked us all, and he's 78 years of age. And, you know, you, you just kind of thought, guys, that because – he was a part of the organization from day one all the way through that I know unrealistic, but you always felt he was always going to be here. And uh, already in the eight days, you know, he's, he's so missed. I, I can tell you there was nothing better than being down at the rink running into him uh, and sometimes just sitting there talking for an hour. Or he'll come sit in your office. You might have been on a phone call. He just sat there the moment you turned hung up. He'd talk some hockey with you. He'd tell you what he thought about last night's game. Uh, the, the coolest thing, I think, over the last week, has truly been social media, which is amazing to say this, and people's responses. And I put a picture of myself and Bobby with the Stanley Cup on the plane on the flight home from Boston in 2019. And my brother Kevin replied on Facebook with what I thought was, I mean, I haven't been able to summarize this any better. He said, you notice that everybody, you know, that, that knew Bobby or that touched Bobby or that so many people that, that got to meet him, you notice nobody's posting pictures of him. They're all posting pictures with him. And that was Bobby. I mean, that summed it up really well. Like everybody took a picture with him and everybody felt that the moment you met him, even for the first time, you felt that you knew the man. And, and I think that's really, really special. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's a self-defense system for myself or what, but. A guy like Bobby Plager, after the initial hit of realizing that you're never going to have a chance to say hello to him again, you know, he, he's one of those guys that, I mean, I'm thinking about him now and I got a smile on my face. Right. I mean, because ultimately, that's what he provided people. Bobby Plager made you feel like you were his best friend. Bobby Plager would always, once introduced, immediately flash that smile. You know, I mean, it's just, we all have relatives that were close and meaningful to us. There's very few of us, despite what we may think or try to portray, there's very few people outside of our own family that we will truly miss. Truly miss. Uh, Bobby Plager is one of those guys, uh, to me, that I will truly miss. To this day, I miss. My give and take with Joe Strauss of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, who uh, may he rest in peace. You know, there, there, I don't think I could fill both hands, Kurt. I'm not even sure. I could probably fill one hand. I'm not sure that I could fill both uh, one hand, let alone two, with the number of people outside of my family that I will truly miss. And it's not the notion of seeing them every day or going out and partying with them. It's just their very presence. And Bobby Plager portrayed everything that meant something to a St. Louis Blues fan because he was a blue. He gave you his heart on and off the ice. And he was just one of those guys, you know, 
you walk into certain establishments, you do certain things, and there's going to be people that you see walk up to you, and you think, oh, I'm that guy, but I really don't have the time. That you know, oh no, I can't believe he's coming up here. She's coming up here. No, every time you saw Bobby Plager, you didn't wait for Bobby to come up to you. You went to Bobby. He had a a very uh, quiet and soft uh, voice, a uh, very quiet and soft demeanor about him. Even when he got animated and started telling stories uh, to me the week before he died, uh, sitting at a table uh, and telling stories about him and his brother fighting each other when they played on opposing teams in junior. And then his brother chased after him, was trying to hit him in the head with a stick. And Bobby had to close the locker room door and lock it so that Sparky wouldn't go into the you know, even when he's telling an animated story like that, he's telling it with, with a, a, a grandfatherly soft uh, demeanor about him. And, and a lot of people who are very animated storytellers uh, have loud voices and are, you know, very uh, extroverted and, and loud and, you know, animated and talking with their hands and stuff. And Bobby was, and that's what made him really different to me as a storyteller because we all know he loved to tell stories and we all know he loved to tell bad, bad jokes. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't sometimes think dirty dad jokes. Yeah, well, that's what I, that was about, I was about to say, I did not have time to spend that much time with Bobby Plager over the last two years, but I'm thinking to myself, wow, he must've changed. Cause I know the curves and I learned about 90% of our <laughs> compounded hyphenated words from Bobby Plager. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I read with, it was with great interest that I read that the, the reason that he quit as the Blues head coach after was after eleven games was because of, of his anxiety and you know and then they were retelling the story of the Blues winning the Cup in Boston and Plager not even watching the game he's at the back of the press box I know Chris you told me before he's been at Blues games and wandered the hallways in the third period or in overtime of a playoff game because he just couldn't stand uh, to watch that um, that's uh, that's how passionate he was about the team to to, to affect him literally physically and emotionally to that level. If I'll say one more thing. Oh, we got plenty and, of time. Say whatever you want. I'll say one more thing and I'll let you guys carry on. But, uh, going back to, you know, you talking about people posting pictures with Bob Plager, one of the things that sort of hit me <clears throat> in, uh, right, go ahead. Well, you know, the, the thing the thing with Bob, and j- just from a few story standpoints, if you're fortunate enough to get to know him, I, I got an early idea when I when I got the job here with the Blues in those early years of the early 2000s to, to even get an understanding of his reach. Like, you got to know him real quick, and he'd hang out with you, and he was so helpful. But we had a radio caravan that kind of went through some of our radio cities, and we had at the time a radio station in Mount Vernon, Illinois. So we go over to Mount Vernon, Illinois. We do a little thing for the radio station, and they, they wanted us to make an appearance at the county fair that was right in there. So we're like, okay. We sit down, and this is shortly after Jim Woodcock and Jeff Trammell and company put out that note-by-notebook and with all those pictures. Man, I'm telling you, at this county fair in Mount Vernon, Illinois, there was a line that developed to get Bobby's autograph that was three hours long. The fair had ended. They had to block the line off just so people would eventually get through it and leave because there were still more people coming. And this was over in Mount Vernon, Illinois. And every, I'm not making this up. It wasn't just here. Can you sign this? Every single person came through 
wanted to tell a story about when they met Bobby previous to that. And guys, I'm telling you, from that moment until the last moment I had with him, whenever you were around him and somebody came up, it was the same thing. Oh, it's good to see you again, Mr. Plager. I met you here. Oh, my dad, you know, introduced me to you here. It's this, it's that. And and it was everywhere. Like, you know, for for somebody that was not a superstar player, he he took over the heart and soul of an organization for 50 years. It, it really, it really is something amazing and special in sports. And are we biased? No doubt. Sure we are. We're, we're absolutely biased because we got to know it, but I don't know of many other situations that are like this, where there was somebody that was so that characterized the soul of a franchise for generations right up to the very end. No doubt. And having composed myself, I was going to say, one of the things that impressed me was the number of people who brought up introducing their kids to Bob. Yep. No, that, 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 that is you know, true. You know, if you're glad that your kids got to know him, that says it all. Yep. You get emotional when, when you think. Tim, Tim, if you look at you look at the Blues retired numbers and I think this is something that is truly special. This is special to the Blues as well. You know, you've got you've got Bob Gassoff's number up there, and a lot of that is because of what he meant to this organization, and then and, and how early and tragically his life was was taken in that motorcycle accident. Okay, obviously, you know what Barkley Plager meant uh, as as you know the Plager brothers really are first royalty of of the St. Louis Blues. You've got the the players that that did it with what they did on the ice in Brian Sutter, in Bernie Federko, in Brett Hall, and Al McInnes, and next year, Chris Pronger. When it came to retiring Bobby Plager's number, it was a different debate. If you looked at just the the what he did on the ice, you were not going to retire the number five. But what happened over time and how he became the the heartbeat of this franchise really dictated that when in when the Blues did retire his number four years ago, it became a no-brainer. And then just like Bobby, that number retirement became as legendary as any moment in St. Louis Blues history. Uh, I mean, I, I talked to guys who played back in the day who would – very quietly say it, but say it in a in reference to just how amazed they are with the way that the city was captivated with him. I've had people say curves that never once in his career in St. Louis was he one of the ten best players on any given team he played on. Now think about that. In sports, how many times do you have a guy that's not even considered to be one of the ten best players on his team in any given year become an icon? That tells you more about the person than a player. Well, certainly anybody who dedicates, uh, I guess, 50 years. 50 years, I mean, yeah, 53. Him, yeah. I mean, he's a, he was a 50-year employee in some way, shape, or fashion. He never, you know, left the organization and came back. He was always with the Blues organization or for the Blues organization that he was doing something. I mean, that, that's really an amazing number that I, I don't know that anybody 
I guess maybe there's some Yankees that may have been with their team uh, in some way, shape, or fashion as an ambassador, for lack of a better word, for, for close to that amount of time. But I can't think of any player in any sport that can even come close to that number. Tom Brady's played for 50 years. Yeah, well, that's different. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to tell you, one of the greatest nights ever, and I, I, I hope somebody recorded this. I've got to ask around and see if we have it. But uh, a number of years back, we did a roast of Bobby Plager. And um, and Martin Kilcoin, by the way, Martin Kilcoin on these roasts are, is, is just outstanding. But I might have had, no, 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 I didn't might have. I had the greatest seat in the house for this thing. Okay, so you've got Kelly Chase, you've got you've got all these others that, greats that have come in to help roast Bobby Plager, but I sat with Noel Picard to my left, and so when you heard the anybody would crack a joke about Bobby, Noel would nudge me with his elbow, start laughing, and then tell another story about that joke that somebody just told. And I'm telling you, if I had had the sense of the smarts to have had a recorder right there to just record Noel Picard, it would have been one of the most outstanding black label recordings you could have ever imagined. Like it was just unbelievable. So then we we do a thing every we, we did a thing. We still will obviously do it, but Bobby was such a big part of this. We did kind of a a broadcaster for a day thing. For, we we give it away for charity, and it helps raise a lot of money. Where a couple fans come down, maybe their family, they go to the morning skate with us. And then I, Bobby and I would take them to lunch, and then they come up and visit us in the booth during the game. Well, this one family, and this this time we decided, well, they lived out west. So why don't we why don't we take them out to Bobby's place there in, in Valley Park? And he says, I've got a surprise. He goes, Noel is in town. He's coming with us. Holy smoke. So this is a game day. They come down to the morning skate. We go over to Bobby's place, and here it is, this family and, and I sitting at this table while Bobby and Noel Picard are just telling stories. And guys, now I live I live just up the street. I live in Manchester, so I live just up the street from, you know, maybe 10 minutes away from Bobby's place. I'm looking at my watch going, guys, it's 4.15 in the afternoon. I got to get home and change because I got to get back down to the rink for tonight's game. But that lunch was still going on with, with Pick and Bobby just telling stories. And you want to talk about an absolute treat. When you could be around those two guys together was just something else. And Chris, on top of that, you know, I used to number 50, really, when you think about it, the man was involved in hockey. Probably hockey was the most important thing in his life for 75 years. I mean, this guy played in the Ontario Hockey Association in 1959, and he was born in 43. He figures to put on skates at, at three, as, as most Canadian kids do, if not sooner. I mean, hockey was this man's life for 75, 75 years. That's, that's just amazing. It's just amazing. It's an amazing number to me. You want to know what one of the most proud moments in his entire life was? Sure. And it happened just a few years ago. It happened just a few years ago. He became a United States citizen. And so he went through the naturalization process. And and the day he became a U.S. citizen was one of the proudest moments in his life. He truly loved this city. He loved everything about it. He loved what it meant. He felt it was important to become a U.S. citizen. and And he did. And, and and even you know even later after he did he was invited back to kind of help be part of the process for other citizens that were you know being naturalized into U.S. citizenship. I mean it was really something special. So think think of all that. Think of what we talk about hockey and the great stories and 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 everybody he knew and and every, I mean just the amazing stories of 
you know, the chant of uh, bottled beers. They're walking out the hallway because if they win that game, they get another bonus, and that's the difference in drinking draft or bottled beer this summer, or you know, or uh, or Doug Harvey coming back for a game and 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 Scotty Bowman asking for some words of wisdom before game seven, and he looks up and he says, he says, does a wet bird fly at night? And then went back to eating his steak or Bobby taking his, Bobby taking his, and this one's amazing, took his teammates' teeth who had full dentures, snuck into the locker room during practice, took his teeth while they were on a road trip in Philadelphia and sent them home to the arena here in St. Louis. And then, okay, to the point now, now they're serving steak and potatoes for their meals, right? To the point he couldn't eat, to the point that Barkley's looking at him saying, Bobby, give him his teeth back. And Bobby's going, I can't. I mailed them back home. <laughs> They're not here. <laughs> I mean, but but he really was so genuine, and and you know how much he loved his his kids and Bobby Jr., his daughter Melissa, and his, uh, Melissa's husband Dave, and and Jacob and Katie, uh, his grandkids became the light of the world. And I was fortunate enough um, when they when Bobby was given a chance to host the Stanley Cup. And, and think about this too, guys. The St. Louis Blues made sure that so many people got a, a even even just a small window with the Stanley Cup that most teams don't do. I mean, what the Blues did with that was second to none. And so here's Bobby Plager that had a window with the Stanley Cup, and he started it at his daughter Melissa's house, and the, they they invited uh, Christy and the girls and myself over there. And I've got some amazing footage of Bobby putting Ted Drews and then gooey butter cake in the top of the Stanley Cup. All the kids have spoons, and Bobby says, go. And he just stood back with his greatest smile on his face watching kids eat Ted Drew's and gooey butter cake out of the top of the Stanley Cup. I mean, just just special, special, special. And he will he will be dearly missed. And I could sit here for another four episodes and tell you more stories, you know, of, of Bobby. But uh, I can just tell you he's going to be missed. More news will be coming out from the team uh, in terms of when, uh, you know, funeral arrangements, things like that are going to be involved. And, of course, he's going to be honored uh, throughout the rest of this season with jersey patches and, and more anecdotes and stories as we go. You're tuning into Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. It's our 12th episode. Tim Woodburn, a longtime hockey play-by-play man of 10-plus seasons throughout the East Coast Hockey League and the American Hockey League as well, and also a sports broadcaster here in St. Louis on the show each and every week with us, John Hadley, longtime editorial and content consultant for all the major networks on the different sports Radio station owner of uh, five ninety, the fan KFNS as well. He's kind. Of, he joins us every week. And fellas, let's 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 break from Bobby and get into something he would be passionate about. And I can tell you, a couple days before you know the, his his tragic end happened, he was still watching games. I mean, I get a text and it had you know a, a player's number on it with a question mark because he was so frustrated with the player's play. Like he cared about this thing. That you're the St. Louis Blues. We've got twenty one games to go. You've got 18 of those gate 21 games against Vegas, Minnesota, and Colorado. It is going to be a gauntlet, and they have to right the ship in a hurry. The good news is you're in a playoff spot right now. You just need to the rest of the season. Because this is all remember, remember, John, when you brought up uh, Survive March, right? And the Blues have mm-hmm. survived March, but barely as we record this on April 1st. But they survived March, but barely. Now you just have to make sure. And you're not worried anymore about first, second, or third. You just have to make sure that you are one point better than Las Vegas or Arizona the rest of the way through. You meant L.A. Uh, that's what I meant, L.A. Yeah, one point better than L.A. or Arizona. Yeah. I just don't see it, Kurt. 
I just, considering the current state of both teams, uh, considering that I can't be 100% positive that we're going to see Colton Pareko back, and if we do, anywhere near 100%. But more importantly, the thing that we discussed, on and on and on, is the schedule differential throughout the rest of the season. While the Blues, I would assume, based merely on the winning percentage, while the Blues play the toughest schedule of any playoff contender the rest of the way, the LA Kings will spend virtually the rest of their season playing against the lower third of the teams in uh, in the division. So, you know, I mean, it is what it is, but and I hope I'm wrong because I have never denied and never will deny being a a huge St. Louis Blues fan. Um, but I very pessimistic and it would break my heart and I'll tell you why it would break my heart is not only for the fans uh, but for the ownership and and for downtown St. Louis I mean, this ownership has been incredibly gracious with their expenditures when it comes to roster construction um, and this city desperately needs those downtown businesses desperately need some Blues playoff games um, yada, yada, yada. In theory, in theory, hopefully, you know, seeing maybe at least half the building, if not more, available for purchase come playoff time. For an ownership group that deserves a better fate, for a city that needs a better fate, uh, it would break my heart to see this team miss the playoffs um, and at least not get a couple games back here in STL for postseason play. But I'm just being honest with you. I just, I, I can't do the math. There's there's no reason for me to believe that a Blues team that basically is playing 500 hockey with the lower division can exceed against the upper division in a manner that allows them to pull away with the playoffs. And who better to break out of this funk against than perhaps the best team in the NHL right now in the Colorado Avalanche who put a nine spot on Arizona last night. They're 10-0-2 in their last 12. You look, you look at the goals. The Colorado has scored since Nathan McKinnon returned from a, a brief injury. I mean, going back, going back from last night, nine, five. Then they had a two against Vegas, but five, 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 six, five, eight, four. This team is just scoring goals in waves. And they don't start until tomorrow night, but the Blues better start back checking right about now because Colorado is killing people. All right. So Colorado, Colorado right now is very close to having a goal-and-a-half uh, scoring differential this year. And, you know, it's it's one thing to have an impressive scoring differential, but on average to be outscoring teams by a goal-and-a-half, that's pretty outrageous. I still think man-for-man Vegas is the better of the two teams, but the way Colorado's playing, as Tim Dooley noted, again, it's, you know, the, the Blues really can't, curbs, even if the Blues play 500 hockey, which, Again, considering the state of this team would be sort of phenomenal considering the schedule. Even if they were to play 500 hockey, I don't know that that's good enough. Well, I, I, I 500 hockey might do enough. it. But th- this, is why, this is why the focus has totally changed. This is why the focus has totally changed, okay? Originally, you're thinking, okay, 
with a healthy squad, you can compete with Colorado and Vegas. And I still fully believe that they could. No right? doubt. Okay, you're going to get Barbashev back hopefully on Friday. That's going to be, but but you do know that there's no Gunnarsson coming back. You do know that there's no that there's no Oscar Sundquist, and that Sundquist is a big thing. But this season, I think the Blues have played well against Colorado. I think they've played well against Vegas. They played well in that one game against Minnesota. And so, look, could it go bad real quick? Oh, it absolutely can, right? And and you could find the reasons why. But I also think that this team, one of its characteristics has been a bit, a little bit of playing to the level of the opposition. And, man, I'll tell you what, if they do find some sharpness and compete against these teams as they continue to get more healthy games under their belt with the players having returned, um, they, they could become an absolute force. Now, having said that, the other reality is to me, and this is why I started this segment with this, you got one goal. Right now your goal is to make the playoffs. And that goal means you have to be essentially the way I look at it. I mean, you you can do the math and say, ah, it could be two and a half points. But look, just you right now, if you finish the final 21 games, one point better than Arizona and Los Angeles, you're going to make the playoffs, and then you take your chances and see what happens. Now, here's, the, here's, here's a wild card to everything. The Blues general manager is as realist of a general manager as you can get, okay? And go back to the 17-18 season when they were in a playoff hunt and battling for their playoff lives. Remember, some injuries crept in on that that season too, right? And, and things weren't quite going well enough for the St. Louis Blues, okay? Mike Yo becomes a head coach. He's tried that. And Doug Armstrong looked at his team and said, I just don't feel like this team has the it factor it's going to need, Right? So what did he do? With the trade deadline in Minnesota, he trades Paul Stastny. And that was a shocker because you're like, hey, this team is still in it. And you miss the playoffs by one point. You lose the playoffs on the final day of the regular season. That's when Tarasenko suffered the injury in Colorado, right? Now the next year you come back and you win a Stanley Cup. Doug Armstrong's vibe and feel of this team over the next 11 days until the trade deadline on April 12th could dictate whether or not you move some key pieces or you say, well, this is the this is the group we came to the dance with. Go try to make it happen, guys. And so I am just as curious to see how Doug Armstrong reacts to the next 10 days as I am to see the results on the ice. Very interesting point, Kurt. Very interesting point. Because because here's here's the factor here. If you if you don't th- like, if you're the general manager and you don't think that this team has the it factor this year, right? Or you're looking at the health going, man, this just is not going to happen. Okay, and let's, does any player want to hear that? No. Does any fan want to hear that? No. But if you're the general manager, you've got to be, you've got to realize what you've got. Is trading a Mike Hoffman and what you could get in value for him something you consider? Is trading a defenseman something? you should consider is trading another forward. I mean, how this all plays out, because if you do feel you're going to miss and, and that happens, it does put you in a, in, in, in a top 15 draft pick scenario, which is something the blues haven't had in a few years. So this is a, well, this becomes a real interesting next week and a half for the St. Louis blues. Well, and, and interestingly enough, you know, if, if, with the exception of some points, if everybody else comes back healthy up front, you might be able to afford to trade Hoffman without having a real effect on your team. 
problem is they lost their veteran depth in Gunnarsson. They lost their potential fill-in depth with a top prospect in Perunovic. And they lost what is becoming abundantly clear to the one player that they probably can't lose most, and that's Colton Pareko. Um, so I, I think it's going to be interesting on two fronts, whether they go the way that they did a couple years ago, as you interestingly brought up, you know, or does he say, well, I may not have the depth that I thought I had at forward, but I've got myself a good 10, uh, 10 forwards. I'm going to go ahead and make a deal to bolster my defense. Um, I can't replace Colton Pareko, but maybe I can pick up a legit number three, number two type defenseman that gives us the depth defensively that makes a difference because he has assets. He could trade off and he could trade done, and I really don't think it affects his team. I mean, again, I know that most people in the city have a, di- a completely different view of Vince Dunn than I do. I, I think Vince Dunn is just a guy. I've always stated that. I, I firmly believe it. I don't, I don't think this team would miss his presence one iota. What does a, what does a Hoffman and Dunn deal bring you back in return for a defenseman? Not so sure that you couldn't get a number two or number three defenseman for Dunn and Hoffman. Well, and the emotions are obviously going to be as high as they can get for Doug Armstrong and, and for Tom Stillman, the ownership group, because they have four home games next week. And if things don't go well, it's the hottest team in the National Hockey League this weekend. And then four home games next week also don't go well, which is basically the last six games leading up to the trading deadline. If you if you perform poorly at home, I think I think the uh, I, I think the nerves uh, get a little get a little tighter, and and it's more likely that he would pull a trigger because of the way they played at home this year. If they continue to not play well at home next week, two against Vegas and two against Minnesota, and you also have to consider that he also has to say, well, obviously ownership has taken a financial booming hit this year as our our team. You know, would he sell just to to hinder some of those losses just for that reason alone. I don't know what kind of pressure he would receive on that, but you know, if ownership doesn't believe they're a playoff team and, and he doesn't either, I, I would got, I have to think that, you know, there'd be uh, a, a, a let's sit down talk and, and, uh, and let's stop the bleeding. If, if we're not going to be a, a dominant team this year, much less a playoff team this year. Well, that that's where that, that's why I said, the next 10 days are going to be fascinating because you have the two games against Colorado this Friday, Saturday. You've got a Monday-Wednesday game at home against Vegas and then two home games against Minnesota. One week from next Monday is a trade deadline on the 12th. You will know exactly where you sit from a competitive standpoint having played those three teams each twice. And so this is going to come down to the players will dictate what Doug Armstrong is going to end up doing, which leads to this, and we'll we'll, we'll wrap up the podcast here, guys, uh, with this one. Three things from you guys that, that you think are going to be critical for the St. Louis Blues the rest of the way, if they're going to have a successful end, make the playoffs, and maybe go on a run. For me, it comes down to uh, something pretty simple, and I'm going to do I'm going to do my three with the assumption of Colton Pareko not being healthy. Maybe that's one of your three, but I'll I'll do this. Uh, to me, the three are this. Jordan Bennington is going to have to steal some games. He's going to have to lock some things down better than he's been. Tory Krug, I think, is going to have to be more consistent logging those top minutes. 
I, I think sometimes there's been some some turnovers and just not keeping the puck in enough at the blue line, to be honest with you. So I think that's a key factor there. And then to me, Vladimir Tarasenko, he needs to start sniping some goals. And it's a tough situation for as long as he's been out trying to get that shot back and trying to get it going. But this is the situation that the Blues are in. If you can get better goaltending from Jordan Bennington, I think a little more consistent play out of Tori Krug, and you can get some goals from Vladimir Tarasenko that can lift this team over the hump. John, you I don't know that I can. I don't know that I can add much. I mean, I sent out a few tweets, and you echo some of my very sentiments. I mean, I look. I have been and will always be, in all likelihood, a card-carrying member of the Bennington fan club. But he's got to be better. He's just got to be better for this team to win. And with Tarasenko. You know, I'm mean, again, there, there's X factors, which is why I say I don't think, but I remain optimistic. I mean, there are factors that you just, I think it would be unfair for us to insinuate uh, that there's any hope of Tarasenko being the Tarasenko of three years ago. But again, it's not out of the, I mean, I, I think people just tend to forget how dominant Vladimir Tarasenko was. I mean, if we if if he if he if if he catches fire, that changes everything. That, I, and 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 I could not agree with you more with Krug. I, you know, I I, I think it's fair. I, I would be very surprised in knowing the way some athletes are. I don't know Krug personally. I actually, never once spoke to him. But I can't believe that if Tory Krug was honest with you, he'd tell you that he was happy with his play today. So I think it's a very fair assessment. And if all three. Are those proposals that you put on the table conclude with affirmative answers? Um, that could very well shift the uh, the scales of prediction towards this team getting into playoffs. And you know, as Kelly Chase said, never saw a team that won the Stanley Cup that didn't get in the playoffs. Just get in and see what happens. Right, Tim. I would add to that. Uh, Jaden Schwartz, Dustin Falk uh, as well. You know, the Blues had so much offensive production from the defensive core in their first 15 games or so of the season, first 20. They're among the NHL leaders and goals by the D. That has completely fallen off the mountain. Falk hasn't had a point in seven games. Krug hasn't had a uh, a goal since, I believe, uh, it's been at least a month and a half. And, you know, Jaden Schwartz and Vladimir Tarasenko both have shooting percentages that start with a five. And that's, that's comically horrendous you know those guys your best players have to be your best players O'Reilly's out there playing a ton of shorthanded minutes taking all the big face off he's doing his thing you know we need to see the Kairu we saw the first 15 games of the year we need to see the Falk we saw the first 15 games of the year and we need to see Jaden Schwartz's production uh, hem up you know he, he makes all these whirling dervish moves like Robert Thomas does we all know Schwartz is a much more proven goal scorer than Thomas I don't know that Thomas ever will be but your best players got to be your best players and they're too predictable um, you know, they dominated Minnesota in shots and lost 2 nothing. They got out goaltended. But they were still predictable in their shots. I mean, I, I said out loud, I wonder what the NHL record is for most shots on goal in a game that hits the goalie's logo in the chest. They're not sniping any top – they're not sniping top shelf. They're not picking corners. They're not getting anybody in front of the net to screen. Uh, and that's why they scored two or fewer goals in seven straight games. You know, they, you, they, you they mentioned Brian. You mentioned, 80, you mentioned 87 names and you didn't bring up your man crush. 
<laughs> well, you didn't bring up yours either, so I figured I'd follow in your footsteps because I know you think Zach Stanford's going to carry this team to the promised land. Uh huh. What, what happened? What, what happened to uh, Evgeny Stanford? What happened to uh, uh, what happened to Zach Crosby? <laughs> Boys, great job this week. Uh, I'm going to save that Irish whiskey for next week's episode. How's that sound? And I will tell everybody okay. about it next week. Have, have, have a terrific week. Uh, let's wrap it up, and let's hope for some good things coming up after the weekend. Very nice. That Irish whiskey, that Irish whiskey simply uh, fermenting for another week will only make it better. Exactly. And, and, a, and a quick quick barn burner, Nathan McKinnon, threw a helmet last night against Connor Garland and hit him in the head with it, got fined $5,000. He threw it underhand. Hey, Nathan, if you're going to throw a helmet and get five grand out of your pocket, go ahead and throw it overhand next time, okay? Don't, don't just toss it underhand. Go ahead and sling it. I can't believe they find him anyway. I'll find, I thought he was actually – they find him for unsportsmanlike conduct. I thought it was sportsmanlike. You were giving his helmet back so he didn't get a penalty. That's the, that's the way uh, Canadians play baseball, yeah. underhanded. Uh, all right, boys, have a good week. Talk to you next week. Thanks again. That's Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burner, episode 12, downloaded on every single one of the podcast platforms you can find as we bring you more. Tim Woodburn, John Hadley, I'm Chris Kerber. Have a great week, and uh, let's go Blues.